I don't believe that we ever heal from grief. I, I believe instead that we, we integrate our loss into the person that we're becoming. Hi, I'm Abigail Archery, and this is Unshakable Stories, Unshakable Truths, where we talk to people about their faith and how it guided them through the best and worst of times, their missions and ministries that were perpetually born out of crisis, and how God is using them today to make an unshakable difference. Clarissa Moore has an MA from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. She is a young widow of author Rob Moore and the mother of their four amazing children. After making her career in fundraising and marketing for small nonprofits, Clarissa now writes to accompany those walking a grief journey. Her writing has appeared in Modern Loss, Practical Homeschooling and Christianity Today, just to name a few. And I was personally struck to the core by her candidness after reading her piece on Letting Grief Come to Church, a manuscript for pastors preparing to reopen their doors to congregants who may have experienced bereavement during the COVID crisis season. Clarissa, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. To start off with, since you have a way by painting pictures with words, describe to us whereabouts it is you live in the world. Well, I live on the North Shore of Boston, Massachusetts in the United States, mm. and I live in an old New England farmhouse on two and a half acres of land, land that has been farmed since colonists came here in the 1600s. So it's a beautiful spot, lots of natural beauty and animals that wander through my yard. It's a lovely place to raise my children. <laughs> oh, it sounds fantastic. Now, walk us through the day or events which led to the day that changed the trajectory of your life as well as your family forever? Well, it was just about this time last year when my husband and I and our four children set off on a cross-country road trip back to visit friends on the west coast of the United States where we had once lived. We were excited to reconnect and hike through national parks and camp. And one mm. of the highlights of our trip was going to be a hiking trip that Rob, my husband, was going to take with a good friend of his. They had been planning for about six months and were looking forward to a full day spent in the mountains, reconnecting with each other and just enjoying being outside. Mm. You know, when Rob was a conscientious hiker, he was responsible, he was conservative, and we always had a communication plan when he hiked. When he arrived at the trailhead, he would text or call me to let me know he was there. And when he got back from his hike, when he got to the car again, he would do the same. And he told me that sometimes his cell phone would run dry in the backcountry. And so there was no need to worry at first mm. if he didn't call me right away. There was a margin of error, if you will. And there was a time at which I could get concerned right. about an hour after his designated time to be back. Well, that day in July, he didn't text or call when he was supposed to return to the trailhead. One hour passed, two hours passed, three hours passed, and I, I got very worried. He'd never done anything like this before, and it felt unusual. And as I was getting my children mm -hmm. ready to get ready for bed that evening at our campsite, the summer dusk was settling in. 
a large white SUV rolled up to my campsite and two chaplains stepped out and they gave me the news that no one would ever want to hear that my husband had fallen to his death and um, that my husband, my children's father, he wasn't coming home again. Hmm. During that moment and obviously days to come, as a believer, how were you able to reconcile your faith in the midst of the tragedy and pain of loss that you were feeling? Well, I've always had a, a deep sense that the world was broken. Uh, I've been mm. influenced, I guess, by C.S. Lewis's writing on longing, that all of creation longs mm. to be made new. And I've felt that for a long time. And so after Rob died, I never asked why or why me, because I know that the curse of sin runs very deep, that the world is very broken. But I did ask God, what's the plan? (sighs) What do you have in store for us, Lord? And um, he hasn't answered that question in the almost a year since Rob died. He's given me himself, and I've found that to be enough. But it has certainly been a walk of faith to continue to walk beside the Lord when I don't understand his plan and when I can't see his hand at work. Hmm. I'm going to read an excerpt from your article, Bloom, Where You Are Quarantined, which was featured in Christianity Today. I lost my partner, my confidant, my co-parent, my lover, my advisor, and my best friend. I'd always been an independent person, an introvert even, but I never wanted to be ushered into a life without him for the last eight months and until Christ comes again. Rob's seat sits empty at our kitchen table and his side of the bed is cold when I slip beneath the covers each night. Clarissa, how has writing been helpful to you during this transitional period? During early grief, it's hard to put words to the emotions that we feel. There's something that people who are grieving call brain fog, and it sort of descends on a person who is bereaved after they have suffered loss. It's hard to do simple things like remember to turn off the oven in the kitchen before you leave to go somewhere or to find your keys or sometimes grieving people even get lost in their cars going to places that were once familiar. And if these physical tasks are hard, then the the task of making words, making sense out of loss is even harder. I found that in my own grief journey, writing has been a way for me to connect with the Lord, to lay before him all of the things that are aching in my heart. And it's also been a great way for me to connect with other people who are grieving, people around the world who have reached out to me, who have found solace in my words, companionship in my words. And likewise, I have found companionship and solace in their presence as well. Oh, I'm so glad to hear because I know how I was touched. When I read Bloom, Where You Are Quarantine, I shed tears, to be honest with you. So I can only imagine the ripple effect that it's having all around the world with people coming in contact with your work. In your opinion, what do you believe are the myths associated with grief? 
<laughs> there are so many. Uh, but as I think about it, these, I guess, would be my top three. The top three things I think are most damaging to people who are grieving. Uh, first, that grief is something that can be fixed. Uh, it's like a problem that we can solve. We we often treat grieving people as though they have a physical injury. We talk about we want to see them get back on their feet, or we talk about healing and recovery. Those are very physical injury kinds of words. But the reality is that, that grief is an emotion. It's not a problem. It's not like healing a broken leg. And it's an experience that we have to walk through. Likewise, I think that the myth that grief has a timetable, that it's linear, can also be really hurtful for people who are struggling with understanding the sorrow that has invaded their lives. You know, people who are grieving can often feel a pressure to move on. And we know that grief is an expression of love for what is lost. And in the same way that we don't stop loving someone after they've died, we certainly won't stop missing them either. So I don't think about grief as moving on so much as moving forward with this unwelcome companion who has joined us in our lives. I think the last way that I would say that grief has a myth that hurts is that we often think that there's a right way to grieve. A lot of grieving people reach out to me and they express that they feel like they're doing it wrong. Maybe they're keeping their loved ones close or they've decided to give all of them away. They can't sleep in their bed anymore or they want to sell it. And it's really hard for people to wrestle with how to do grief. The reality is that grief is not unlike having a baby. Now, we have a baby and suddenly we're inundated with all kinds of advice, helpful and unhelpful, and uh, you know the opinions that you get. But if there's no one right way to welcome a baby into the world, there's no one right way to say goodbye to someone that we love. That's so true. What's one thing you want everyone listening to know? Well, grief is so lonely, even with a team of loyal supporters. And I have been blessed with family and friends who have surrounded us. Even yet, it's a lonely, lonely path to walk. But Jesus has promised to be with us in our grief. In my piece with Christianity Today, I talk about how Jesus sought out lonely places. The gospel writers tell us that he sought out the desert places for rest and renewal, for places to pray, to talk to his father. And I believe that Jesus seeks us out in our lonely places, that the places that feel most deserted, most arid, are the places where he often can be most present to us, where we can find him most easily. Hmm. We'll be right back after this. I pray you are encouraged by Clarissa's story today. Our verse of the day today is found in Psalm chapter 147, verse 3 and 4. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, curing the pains and their sorrows. He determines and counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by their names. And now, back to our interview with Clarissa. 
What do you think pain teaches us? Well, pain has taught me that I am much smaller and more defenseless than I like to admit. I am much less able than I would like to believe. But pain has also taught me that God is bigger, more generous, more gentle, more tender than I ever could have imagined. Now, about two years ago, I spent a season in spiritual direction, seeking out the Father heart of God. It was just a longing that I had had on my heart to know God as Father. And I spent that year learning to turn to Him. And I can't believe how much I needed that year of focused attention. Because since Rob's died, I have never felt more childlike, more vulnerable, more unsure of the future, filled with questions. I think that's what pain does to you. It makes you feel tender. And now I know where to go. I know that in times of pain, I can turn to my father, to my Abba, Father God, and he will be present with me. Yeah. How important is it to serve others whilst grieving, whilst experiencing some type of loss? Well, my husband, Rob, wrote a book called The Art of Dying. It was published about 10 years ago. And Rob was a hospice volunteer. He worked at a funeral home. He was engaged with people who were in the process of dying and those who were walking beside them. And one thing he noticed was that oftentimes people who were grieving or people who were dying were positioned as educators for those around them. And that job as educating others really placed a burden on people who are grieving and people who are dying. Mm. And so I'm always very careful to, um, to balance the role of my grief work with educating others because I have to take places where I lean into my own grief where I stop sharing with others how I have found it helpful to do and take that space to heal and to rest. And then there are other moments where I'm able to lean in and share with others. I like to think of myself more as a companion in grief. I don't know how to do it. I'm learning as I go, but I'll walk beside you and hopefully we'll point our feet toward (laughs) Jesus. And that's a powerful position to be in. Just referring to your work, because I just think that you're a prolific writer. You wrote a really, uh, another powerful piece in uh, Christianity Today, Letting Grief Come to Church, which is what I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, How has the response been like? And because this particular piece I felt was a, a real manuscript for pastors, those in leadership who are preparing to reopen their doors to their members, who may have experienced bereavement through the COVID crisis season that the world has all sort of passed through. How can churches, in your opinion, members right up to the clergy leadership, better prepare and equip themselves for, just as you mentioned, walking beside and alongside those who have experienced grief? Well, I think all churches hope to offer deep community. They hope to be places where people can find rest, where they can meet Jesus in a deep way. And it's hard to hear for a lot of churches, I think, that hurting people often run away and not toward the church. 
I share in my piece about my own struggle with returning to church after my husband's death, and I know I'm not alone. Some studies show that an estimated 50% of widows don't return to the church that they attended with their husband. 70% of widows lose their social network after their husbands die. And I admit I was a little nervous. I, I don't want to critique the church. I, I love the church deeply, but I want the church to do well as it cares for its grieving members. I've been so grateful to see the attentive heart of the church in response to that piece. So many have shared their article, the article with their church leaders, and I hope it's beginning lots of really good practical conversations around the staff table about how we can better care for those who carry that burden of grief. Hmm. I want to be cognizant of the fact that you're not just a, a wife, a widow, as it were, but during the time of going through this, this tragic loss, you also were grieving for the loss of a father to your children. What did Grace look like and feel like during those toughest times, toughest days? For our family, Grace certainly has shown up in the hands and feet of people. Uh, we're often told that we're the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And for me, Grace has most often looked like people. After the funeral arrangements are over and those first few months are over, the cards stop coming in the mail, uh, the meals stop coming, people stop asking anymore, they stop saying your loved one's name, but the grief is still there. And for our family, Grace has looked like the friend who committed to praying that I could sleep through the night and the friend who volunteered to come to the doctor with me for the first time, a job my husband had used to do when he was alive, uh, come with me to the doctor for the first time after my husband died. Grace was the woman who showed up with dinner from church with a big box of ice cream for my kids, an unexpected pleasure and joy for them that showed she had been intentionally thinking of us, of them, a handyman who did the jobs for free. There are so many ways that Grace has come in practical ways since Rob died. And Grace has almost always looked like people. Mm, and that leads me to friends and family better showing up. And I love what you mentioned about intentionality, because I think that's, that's key right there. What are some of the helpful questions, um, anyone listening that is right now walking alongside a friend or a loved one, who has recently gone through a very similar experience, what are some of the questions that they could begin to ask that would be deemed as helpful or supportive approaches? Well, the first assurance I want to give anyone who is listening is that it's okay to fumble your way toward love. Being willing to learn is the most important mark of being a loving helper. You don't have to say the right things or worry that you'll say the wrong things. The gift of presence is the greatest that gift that you can give. When I think about questions that you could ask, I think one of the best questions that I've learned to ask and I've appreciated the most is the question, how are you doing today? You know, when we greet one another, we often say, how are you doing? And it's easy to just say, I'm fine and gloss over the emotions that are deep inside. But when someone stops to ask me, how are you doing today? It acknowledges that Grief has all kinds of different emotions. And that question welcomes me to share where I'm really at. Maybe I'm angry that day and I need to talk about it. 
Maybe I'm really lonely and I just need someone to hold my hand. When you ask, how are you doing today? It's almost like a way of taking the temperature of someone's heart. You get a, a gauge so that you're able to meet the person in their place of need and offer them whatever good gifts that God has given you to give to them. Indeed. Does time really help the healing process? You know, I don't believe it does. C.S. Lewis wrote the lament of his wife's death in A Grief Observed, and many years later in Letters to Friends, we see that he still lamented that loss. I don't believe that we ever heal from grief. I, I believe instead that we, we integrate our loss into the person that we're becoming. So at the beginning, grief feels like all there is. There's no space for anything else in our life. But if we choose to engage that grief, welcome that grief as a companion, learn to walk beside it and listen to it, we're offered the opportunity to grow around that grief. And over time, I believe it will take up a smaller piece of who we are. The truth is that we're changed deeply by loss. And honestly, I wouldn't want it any, any other way. Grief is another form of love. When I grieve, Rob's death. It's a way of me expressing that love for him that continues even though he's gone. Hmm. From an eschatological point of view, the scriptures are clear. Remind us of the hope as believers we have. Oh, what a blessed hope we enjoy as believers. I walked down the aisle when I married Rob to Jerusalem the Golden, a hymn, uh, an old hymn about the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. And since Rob died, that has been the prayer of my heart. It's the prayer of my children's hearts, when we gather together for bedtime prayer, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because that is the truth. That's the promise. That's the joy that keeps us going, even in the midst of despair, that this broken world is not all there is, that this is not the end, that Jesus will come again and his promises are true. He will redeem us. He will recreate the world and we will be like him when we see him as he is. Carissa, finish the sentence for me. Joy is to me. Joy is to me the promise of resurrection in the midst of sorrow. Hope is to me. Hope is Jesus shed blood that promises me new life. And grace is to me. Grace is that unmerited favor that flows from Jesus through the hands and feet of his church. How can our listeners read your work and connect with you online? Well, you can find my pieces at ChristianityToday.com. You can also visit my blog at ClarissaMall.com. Find me on Instagram or Twitter. I love to connect with people through uh, social media, through the internet. I love to read your letters and write back. I love to connect with people who are grieving and walk beside them as we walk through grief toward mm. the hope of Jesus. Indeed. Clarissa, thank you so, so much. It's been an honor connecting and speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. 
And I'd like to end today's conversation reminding you of Clarissa's words by C.S. Lewis. We integrate our loss into the person we are becoming. I think this is something that we can all reflect on. I'll catch you again, same time, same place next week. Until then, God bless. Thank you for listening to Unshakable Stories, Unshakable Truths. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe and grace us with a rate and a review. If you would like to feature on the show or you wish to recommend someone, please drop us a line, unshakablestories2020 at gmail.com or reach out to us online. We will connect with you again next week, same time, same place. Until then, God bless.